welcome to the first installment of the AKA podcast. I will be your host. I am Brent Figgy. And here we're going to talk about all things AKA, RC Off-Road Racing, and have some special guests from the team and the industry. Well, let's get right into it. Our first guest is none other than Mark Pavitas. Hey, here we are. If you don't know him, he's a legend in RC on-road and off-road racing. You have 12 or so national championships. Yep. Give or take. Yep, in uh, different categories. Yes, in different categories. And three world championships. Yep. Not, not, a, not a whole lot of guys out there that have... Also in different categories. Yeah, also in different... With an asterisk, I hear, next to one of the on-road ones. <laughs> yeah. Well, let's let's jump right into things here. Uh, first uh, thing we're going to get into is tire talk. Uh, we're going to answer questions about AKA tires. We get asked a lot of questions all the time here, and uh, we're here to educate you and kind of show you some of our product, where we're going with uh, the tires in the tire industry. And uh, one of the more recent things we've released is the Evo 2.4 wheels for 110 scale. Um, Mark, why don't you just tell us real quick about the 2.4 Evo wheel, how it uh, became about, and um, we'll go from there. Yeah, I think, um, you know, the, from the beginning when I first started, um, you know, people were racing Tamiya cars around the track with a, using a 1.8 size uh, wheel. And through, as racing um, develops and evolves, you know, people are constantly trying to make their cars faster and lap times lower. And so then a few years after I got into it, a two, a two inch wheel, oh, two inches, that's, that's huge, you know, and, and there was a definite performance advantage of that. Um, so the industry migrated to the two inch wheel. Evolved again, um, just as off-road was really getting its legs going, and they had the world championships, I believe, in Australia. And Masami showed the the rules were a little vague, from what I understand. I wasn't there, um, but the rules were kind of open to a little bit larger wheel. So Masami from Yokomo showed up with a two point two tire and wheel and just smoke the competition and it was a huge debate of over this larger size tire and wheel um being such a advantage at these tracks that that became the standard for a long long time and as ak kind of got into the 10 scale market we were looking at ways to you know is there any way to evolve it just a little bit more. And so we started looking at other options, you know, what do we like? What do we dislike about the tires and wheels? And one of the things that everyone complains about, if you've glued both an eight scale and 10 scale uh, wheel and tire is that the eight scale type bead just makes for a much easier bead to glue to the wheel. It's a lot cleaner. So we thought about, hey, how can we incorporate that into a 10 scale? Um, so hence the 2.4, the Evo. Now here we are, we've got the 2.4 wheel, but I think with, uh, you know, a lot of the different evolutions in, in RC and with the wheels, it kind of just jumped from one to the next. And, uh, a lot of people ask us, well, why do we have a 2.2 wheel still? Are we going to make tires in 2.2 and 2.4? 
Um, you know, a lot of people prefer 2.2 over 2.4 and vice versa. Um, so what's, uh, what's your take on the, the whole 2.2 versus 2.4 debate? Is there certain situations where you like one or the other or, uh, you know, what's, what's your thoughts on them? Yeah. So going, going to these different races, um, you know, before this project even came to production, we rapid prototyped some stuff and tried to test it the best we can in pre-production form. And when going to these tracks, we've noticed that on these much bumpier tracks is that there is room for a tire that is has more foam inside of it, hence the 2.2. Um, the 2.4, the Evo style, is extremely good on these smooth, high bite tracks um, that really help where the sidewall is really well supported. The car is a lot more reactive. You get to tracks that are really bumpy, then the 2.2 is a little bit more of an advantage because it has more volume uh, inside the tire for the foam. So you have more or less more suspension, more foam, more suspension. So as we go to more tracks, there's a there's a need for both. Um, we've had a lot of feedback from our team guys as well as customers asking, hey, maybe your more popular tires like the Chainlink is extremely uh, versatile tire in the AK line. What about bringing that in, out in a 2.2? Well, we're, we're looking at it right now and seeing what the options are and going from there. Yeah, but right now the uh, Evo conversion kit is available for um, you know the people that do want to run a 2.2 insert on a 2.4 tire, and uh, yeah, my experience with them is has been the uh, the 2.2 insert is exactly like you said. It's just softer. It feels a little bit more plush, and it's it's kind of makes the car a little easier to drive. I mean, I numb would be a little bit of a an adjective I would use there, um, but it. I feel more confident driving around with that. Um, but when I drive the 2.4 on a similar track, my car feels way faster in the corners, getting in and out of the corners. It just seems like much more supported. Um, that's kind of a lot of the feedback I hear from people as well. Um, but still it's, it's rather a split 50, 50, you could say, um, you know, at tracks where you see like a typical indoor clay track. Mm-hmm. I would say. Yeah, a lot of a lot of the guys can can tune around that, and you know the two point the Evo style because of the support, the corner speed is pretty pretty noticeable. Which you know, lap times getting through the corners as fast as you can makes a good lap. I mean, all these tracks you go to, the good guys are good. Um, so the if you can find an edge somewhere, um, obviously it's an advantage. So there's there's definite benefit from both. Some rules of thumb, I guess you could say for them. Um, typically, if you're on a really bumpy track or even a track that has a lot of jumps, um, a 2.2 might have the advantage. Whereas if you're on a smooth high-speed track or a real tight turning track, the 2.4 might have a little bit of an advantage. Would you say that's probably... Uh, Oh yeah, for sure. Good way to put it for, for an easy way to explain the, the differences. Yeah. 
All right, well, let's move on to race chat. Race chat, we're going to get into all things racing, uh, mostly going to stick to off-road, and um, we're going to talk about some of the races we've traveled to, talk about the AKA race team, you know, things that went on in the pits, and kind of try to give you a little bit of a behind-the-scenes look at what goes on, you know, from a, a management standpoint, um, just a, a manufacturer standpoint as well with the race team, um, kind of keep you guys in the loop with the what things we've tried and you know try to keep you a little bit more on top of your game with uh with our products so um let's uh let's start with sponsorship you know one thing that we get asked all the time oh how do i get on the aka race team or um you know even sponsor drivers we get asked well how can i how can i get bumped up to uh you know the next team level and 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 such like that well you got to take brent and i to lunch <laughs> well obviously that's that's where you start i mean bribing the managers is is usually a shoe in <laughs> what would you say what are some of the key things that you look for uh for a new team driver um i think for the most part is just guys that are well represented you know that you go to the local track they ne don't necessarily need to travel to the nationals or cross country to, to be a part of our team but you know of course they're an extension of aka more or less and you know they need to help represent the companies that that are representing um that are sponsoring them so for example there's there's a there's a handful of people across the country that uh that do a really good job at it, send in race reports, uh, help out other racers that may, for example, may not have the right tires and they kind of steer them in the right direction and say, hey, here's a set of tires I have to try, give them a try, what do you think? Um, and just communication. Communication is key with us. We like to stay really involved with our race team. It helps us uh, develop better products for our customers and, uh, you know, I, that's really key. So, yeah, one thing I definitely would like to point out, I think one of the big misconceptions with getting sponsored is everybody thinks you have to be the fastest. You got to be the fastest driver at your track. You got to win all the club races. You got to go and be super competitive at the regional level. And quite frankly, it's just not true. Um, like Mark was saying, just you, you have to represent yourself well at the track and uh, you need to, you need to realize that it's a, it's a two way street for the sponsorship. You know, if you're trying to get sponsored by a company, you know, they want you to represent them as well as possible. And in turn, you know, they help you out with your racing program, getting you the best product as possible, saving you a few dollars here and there. And, uh, you know, even sometimes getting getting you to a few more races. Yeah, team members that are constantly on social media. I mean, doing their stuff. We have a, a bunch of guys that do that. And it just really makes it easy. You know, we start utilizing these guys because they're, they have great communication skills, not only with us, but with their social media outlets. So, um, for example, if we have something new, we send a lot of that product to them, you right. know, to try and get feedback. And so, um, it, it's good having those type of guys that are behind you. Right. A good team driver that that has good communication is invaluable to their, to their sponsor. Um, you know, they're likely going to be the ones like Mark said, to get the newest product, the latest and greatest, you know, that's how products get developed is, is I know speaking for us, you know, we rely on a lot of feedback from our team drivers. 
know, if we have a new tire for a certain surface, we very often send it to a driver that we know their local track that they run on all the time is that surface. But not only that, it's, it's going to be somebody we know that's going to get back to us and give us an honest opinion and say, you know, Hey Mark, I tried the new tire. It sucks. You know, and then we'll go back to the drawing board and, and try to figure that out. Or they'll be like, yeah, it worked great. You know, we tried it against our current chain link or, you know, whatever we're running. And that's the type of stuff that we look for from, from team drivers, um, from a communication standpoint. Um, now, what would you say is, uh, one of the biggest issues that you see with team drivers or you hear, um, you know, from other team managers and, um, I mean, probably the biggest issue is just the loyalty standpoint that, you know, manufacturers aren't, you know, like you were saying earlier, you know, we want to represent people that help represent us well, you know, and in turn, we'll help you out, whether it's through a discount through us or, you know, at the higher level, you know, getting product at free, you know. Um, but for the most part is that everyone thinks, you know, the racers, there are some, not all, but there are some that are just out there for the best deal. And, you know, we, we want to support guys that stick behind us, you know. Like, not everyone's going to start off at the Jared Tebow, Ryan Cavallari, 100% level, you know, um, just like anything, you need to work your way up. You need to earn it. And I feel that that's the best way. I know when I first started racing for Associated, I started off at a 50% sponsorship, yep. raced at my local levels, you know, traveled a little bit, you know, not very far. Every now and then the team, I remember Cliff Lett, he would give me some, or Jay Halsey, you know, he'd give me some free stuff at the track, like a broken arm, you know, oh, here's an arm, you know, that type of stuff. Now now it seems like if you have an RC car and you go to the track all the time, it's pretty easy to be sponsored. The, the, the value of saying I'm a sponsored driver, just everyone wants stuff for free. I would love to give everything. <laughs> I would love to give everyone stuff for free. Yep. Um, but to me, back when I first started, being a sponsored driver meant a lot more than I think it does today. And some people take advantage of it. Some don't. And it's very clear. They're very um, they're very thankful for what they get. And they, they show us. And so that goes a long way in my book. It definitely goes a long way. Those of you listening out there that, that are current sponsored drivers, I, I highly recommend after you're done listening to this. Go, go shoot your team manager an email. Let them know what you've been up to. Let them, let them know what products you've been using and just just stay in touch. Give them some feedback. Yeah, even if, you got, even if there's guys that aren't racing for us. I mean, I'm sure other manufacturers, um, competing manufacturers would appreciate it. You know, that's, that's what we're here for. We help you guys out so you guys can continue racing and represent uh, manufacturers well. So, yeah. um, And our goal is to make the best product for for our racers out there, you know, our team drivers and our, uh, our consumers and, uh, you know, all of that just pushes, pushes us, us even harder to make the best product and get newer products out there as fast as we possibly can. And, uh, that, that whole communication is key communication. I think that's how we could sum up sponsorship communication. I agree. <laughs> All right. Well, another hot topic we've had 
lately we've seen is uh, stock racing. You know, stock racing is is uh, well, from what I hear, a lot of people say is a lot of money. You know, these people have these super expensive cars that have every single trick part on them, and you know, try to get every every extra ounce of speed out of their car. Um, and it's yeah, it, it, I I'm gonna say it, it it looks a little ridiculous from uh, you know from an outside standpoint. And you know, when I see this, I I, I look back at stock racing like when I first started racing back in the '90s, uh, it really was the same thing. Yeah, it, it's everybody had super lightweight cars and everybody was trying every little trick to get you know every ounce of speed out of their cars, make them faster. Yeah, I mean, it's, it, you know, back, like you said, a few years back, maybe more than a few. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, now with the technology of the brushless motors, the, the batteries now are so good. Um, but you go back when we first started and, okay, so you take your motor. Then there's ways to try to make it faster if you wanted to be <laughs> get caught or not and everyone's tried it you know if you if you started racing about 15 years ago or 20 yep. years ago some legal some not so legal yeah and you know people kind of bent the rules around the the brush the brushed yep. motors and then you know then there was a thing about the batteries you know uh people running different batteries taking the shrink wrap off i mean charging them you know back then the batteries weren't as good so you put a couple really hard charges on you know a battery pack that cost you eighty dollars now the battery's no good now i see stock racing and i go to the track okay yeah you have to buy this special charger that charges these new batteries yeah. at very high amps but the batteries last so long the motors can handle you don't even they, no one takes motors out of the car people tape or glue batteries in the car, like, which is fine, but okay, so now you have one battery, maybe two. Right. One motor, maybe two. You know, back then it was multiple motors. Multiple maybe, batteries. Multiple batteries. Cutting comms. Cutting comms. Putting new brushes in the motors, springs. Yeah. Springs. Every single. Multiple batteries. Yeah. Every um, run. Yeah, every run. So Quite tedious. Yeah, I to mean, say the least. Stock racing is what it is. It's a te- it's it's a tinker class, you know. Yeah. Um, and I think that's for some people that, that appeals to a lot of people, like tinkering on the car, trying to get it just a certain way, and um, so it appeals to some people in that way. Some people it kind of turns off. It does. I, I think the limitations of stock racing is really what drives people to do all of these things because. You are very limited. You're limited in power. You're limited in weight. And with all of these limitations, you have to look at every single part of the car and try to figure out where you can improve, where you can get better performance out of. And I think that's what really pushes these tinkerers, as you say, to yeah. to do all these things, to spend all the money on these cars. And yeah, it's a little ridiculous. Is it? Is it completely necessary? Probably not, but I think that's a part of the appeal to the class is it people is. like doing that. Yeah, people like doing it. You know, it's like I tell my son. I said, you know what's going to make a bigger difference than, you know, having a four-gear transmission versus a three-gear? Not crashing. Yep. <laughs> you know, going to the track, putting in the time, 
getting the tires right and, you know, just getting around the track to the point where you feel comfortable, you know, 90% of the time, it's just getting comfortable with the track. The car, yeah, you want it easier to drive, you want it lighter, you want it fast, but to me, that's such such a small percentage on someone who's out there trying to burn the fastest lap, yet he's crashing every other lap, you know, like right. you're not accomplishing anything. Yep. That, that's another parallel that hasn't changed in stock racing. The, the person who wins is usually the one that doesn't crash Yeah. or crashes the least. Yeah. You no, know, it's not because they have one super trick part or they're the fastest car down the straightaway. Right. It's, you know, you crash for a few seconds and that completely negates everything you've done to your car. Exactly. So, so with stock racing, I mean, I guess one of the big things that I've also seen with stock racing now, um, you know, that's not the same is just the amount of power that stock has, you know, the, the lap times between stock and mod and, uh, you know, the drivers even overflow a little bit more now than they used to. Um, that's definitely one thing I think the, maybe people should look into is, is making stock, uh, slower yeah i guess you can say yeah i agree there needs to be a bigger separation in in the speed of a mod car versus a a stock car um to me that's how it was when i grew up it kind of teaches you a little bit more car control before you move up to say something that has a lot more power um yeah so yeah, I mean, that was always, when I was learning how to race, that was always the mindset for racing was, uh, you know, you start in stock and you have kind of a diverse field of skills everywhere from first-time racers to, you know, rather experienced racers. And your goal was to start winning and then move up to modified to be competitive with those guys where the the talent level is is not quite as diverse. You don't really get a lot of new people putting five fives in their cars and, you know, having these rocket ships that they can't control. And, um, you know, so you got to hone those skills. Is that something that, uh, that you think is, uh, has changed in stock racing or do you think that's, that's still there? Um, it's still there. It, it, stock racing should be for the guys that are coming into it that are at the higher end of the spectrum, but aren't ready to quite jump into the mod class. Um, I know when I was racing, I had a mod motor in my box and you go to the days, you know, like track days, practice days, and you're like, oh, today I'm going to run my mod motor, you know, (laughs) cause stock, stock just took so much work to be fast. But at the end of the day, you need stock to kind of go to these bigger races. That's where manufacturers or, you know, if you are looking to get sponsored, you know, people do look at the stock class cause those are your up and coming, you know, talents. Right. you know, for our industry. And, um, it's hard to get recognized in the mod class if you're racing against all the pro guys. Yeah. Even if you are fast and you're making the C main, which is when you look at it is quite a feat in itself for some of these huge races, you know, you get a lot of national champions and some, some world champions back in the day, you know, that are still fast and, you know, you're racing in these lower mains with them in modified class. Yeah. If, you know, if you are looking to get some recognition to get some sponsors, you're definitely better off staying in stock and doing well in stock class, making some A mains and learning how to win those. You know, you'll get noticed. You're not really going to get noticed making a B main or exactly. C main exactly. in mod class. I guess we kind of could have added that in the, the sponsorship segment. 
of this. Yeah, yeah, a little <laughs> bit. Yeah, I mean, it kind of leads you into the whole a uh, whole another thing, you know, of of guys. Um, I mean, for example, you don't see you go to Supercross, you don't see Ryan Dungey, you know, racing against the lights guys. You know, I mean, he's in the elite class because right. he's an elite. Right. And um, and you don't see just the opposite. You don't see the up and coming guys racing so much with the elite guys because they want to prove themselves. And then once they're proven, then you can move up to elite class. Same thing with RC. Yeah. You know, prove yourself and then uh, moving up is the next uh, in order. Yeah. I guess there's a, a lot of sports out there that, that kind of control this, you could say. I mean, we're both avid cyclists and in road cycling, um, they have categories for racers. They break it up in uh, age levels. Uh, they're pretty pretty big age levels, but they have categories. You start at Cat 5, and it goes all the way to Cat 1. And to move up categories, you need to have experience first is what they look for. You, know, you have to get a certain amount of races under your belt and finish them. They don't count if you don't finish uh, to move up to the next category. Yeah. And it's almost like you're, you're getting a license, you know, and um, I don't know. What do you think? Is that something that do you think would ever happen in RC or do you think it, it's something that, um, you know, could be adopted? Yeah. I mean, we don't have an organization that's capable of handling that, you know, our the current organization <laughs> is very far from handling any type of licensing like that but with that said i i think it would be great i mean there's a lot of guys right now i see racing across the country that race these huge stock races that do very well that continue to you know okay more or less let's okay he pointed out you know he won the two big events right it's time to move up definitely so make room for for some new blood to come in there yeah, I mean, it's. Uh, I think we are pretty self-regulated out there when it comes to that. I mean, there are a handful of stock drivers that you see out there that have been running stock class for, I can think of a couple guys for 10, 15 years, and mm -hmm. they still run. They run both mod and stock, very competitive in stock, and then they're middle of the pack in mod, which, you know, I guess you can kind of go either way with, uh, you know, with some of those guys that are on there and ridicule them for being in stock still, and but... I guess it all kind of depends on what you're there for. You know, are you, some people are just there to be competitive. Some people are there just to have fun. Um, but yeah, it's definitely, even though it is a little bit self-regulated, it would be cool to see some goals and objectives that people can try to reach and move up to a class and not only have those goals, but race against equal level drivers. I think right. that's what makes racing exciting is, Nobody likes to go out on the track and get lapped over and over again and, you know, just be the slowest out there. I, I, I don't know anybody that would call that fun. You know, I know the most fun that I've ever had racing. It's only fun if you're doing the lapping. Well, yeah, <laughs> but even so, that's, that, that's not all that fun. Right. <laughs> it's uh, the most fun I've had racing has always been the closest battles. You don't, you yeah. don't remember when you went out and, you know, you lapped the whole field four times, you know, which obviously would never happen at like a world championship or national championship level but you know more on the club level i guess you could say you you would never remember that night you'd remember the night that you you know battled your best friend for 
five minutes straight and we're never three feet away from each other. Right. You know, those are, those are the good races and that's how racing should be in my opinion. Yeah. Um, so I don't know, maybe some things we can look at, you know, listeners out there, you can sound off on, on what your thoughts are, what, what you think would be, uh, where do you think the direction of stock should go? You can uh, hit us up on our Facebook page. You can tweet us at race, AKA and let us know. Maybe we'll revisit this topic in a later episode. Well, that about does it for part one. For a free download of part two, head on over to raceaka.com slash podcast. If you have any questions or comments, feel free to contact us on Facebook, facebook.com slash raceaka or Twitter. You can tweet us at raceaka. Thank you for listening. Have a good one.